Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Welcome. This is summer in Michigan, and you're all here. It's incredible. It's amazing. You give yourself a pat on the back. You're like, you know what? I could be at the beach, or I could be here, and I'm glad you chose here, because this would be very awkward to preach without anyone here. So I appreciate you all. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, uh, for me, at the very least. Um, again, as Danny said, we're so excited you're here. If you've never been here, or this is your first couple times checking it out, thank you for coming back, or thank you for being courageous and stepping into a new space for the first time. Uh, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor here, and it's one of the most fun things I get to do is to bring God's Word. And it's funny because uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. So the secret is there are certain times throughout the year where I really feel like God clearly kind of directs where we need to go in terms of messages and series and stuff like that. There's other times I just know it's just good to preach on certain topics and we just need to do it. But this one uh, was actually one I've avoided for a couple months, to be totally honest with you. Uh, back in May, I really felt like God kind of said, or not said, because I don't audibly hear God's voice every single morning as, as opposed to what some of you may think. Uh, but I basically just felt like a, an inkling or a sense, if you will, that we need to go this direction. We need to process through this. And I really did feel like God challenged me to preach on this specific sermon, and I just didn't want to do it. I didn't know how to approach it. It's not something I like to talk about. It's not something I feel comfortable talking about. Uh, but today I want to talk about grief. Today I want to preach and bring a biblical perspective on what happens when you lose somebody. And if you are sitting here and say, I'm not in that season, I have not been in that season, I totally understand. What I want you to do then is take out a thing, a piece of paper or your phone and take notes because you will need this. There will be a moment, there'll be a season, there'll be a situation or a relationship in which you need to figure out how do I walk through this process. Now, others of you feel like veterans in grief. You've had loss after loss after loss, cancer after cancer, disease after disease, chronic illness. Uh, maybe you've lost a child in the, in the pregnancy process, wherever you're at. Uh, I just know that today I want to do two things. I want to be real with you about grief, and number two, I want to encourage you. Uh, I believe that in the midst of loss, God can speak and work in ways he wouldn't otherwise. And uh, to me, I just think about, well, I'll tell you, I'll just be super upfront. This is going to be the most casual John message you've ever heard. Like if I'm sitting, number one, you know John is very chill <laughs> because it never happens. Uh, but uh, for me, I remember uh, the, the weekend we moved into this space, I lost a good friend of mine. So many of you lost a friend of yours named Pete. And we kind of went through the service. We've gone through the last couple months. And there's not a day I walk into the space without thinking about the person I lost and the friend I lost and the leader we lost and the servant we lost. And I think about that. Not only does that ripple in the community. If you don't know, Pete, that's okay. You've probably got people in your life. I mean, uh, I just know so many of us right now, there's a few families of, of ours that are walking through the loss of, of adult parents. Uh, some of you have lost children in the last year. Some of you have had a miscarriage that no one knew about in the last year. As, as I walk through some of that, and I've got friends who are in all of those boats today, um, I, I just know that, that this is kind of where God was leading us for, for the morning. And to be honest, I'm bad at grieving. I'm bad at thinking about death. In my head, I'm invincible and I never die. <laughs> I don't know about your head. That's how it works in my head. I'm just going to get swept up when my time is done. Um, but I just couldn't avoid it. Even yesterday, I was mowing my grass and uh, you ever have a neighbor come over and just kind of stand there and watch you? <laughs> you know they want to talk. <laughs> so my neighbor, my neighbor Chris, and great guy, 
just I was kind of like whacking the weeds around the corner, our our uh, our kind of yards lined up in that certain spot, and he kind of just stood there and waited for me. I was like, I think he wants to talk to me, so I turned the weed whacker off, and I'm like, Hey, Chris, what's up? And he just goes on to tell me he just lost his sister in the last week, and she lives in eastern Canada, and he can't get there. So what does what does grief look like in a season like this, which is just such a unique and interesting time, very challenging time in our world? And I, I just thought, man, God, you just again and again are bringing this up in my own life, in my own processing of grief. And I just know it's interesting, too. I don't think it's by accident that we're in the Psalms this week because we've been in this journey through the summer in the Psalms. But you already probably know this. Two-thirds of the Psalms are on grief and loss. They're not super happy. They're not all worship songs. They're not all praise the Lord, praise the Lord, God's love endures forever. Some of them are. But two-thirds, like a vast majority of the psalms that even we've looked at have to do with grief and loss and about lamenting loss. And uh, the first thing I want to say that the psalms acknowledge over and over again, and we're going to go into Psalm 77 today, and it won't be on the screen because we're going to jump around so much it would just make you like epileptic like at that point. You'd just annoy, be annoyed at me. So make sure if you have a Bible or a device that you're tracking with, we're going to go in a couple different places uh, but one thing the Psalms always acknowledge is that, and sorry, Mom, for me saying this, death really sucks. Death really sucks. Losing someone you love is awful. There's nothing awesome about it. Sitting through a funeral, memorial, celebration of life, whatever your family does, is incredibly painful. And there's nothing in this world more that the Psalms are in touch with than with actual loss and grief. And so, Psalm 77, here's what I, so if you have it in front of you, here's what I do with Psalm 77. I skip to verse 10. Here's what I read. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds because your ways, God, are holy. Well, God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles you display your power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. That's my favorite part of the psalm, but that's not how this psalm starts. How does this psalm start? If you already kind of were like me, you try to skip ahead and figure out where I'm going. Psalm, one, psalm uh, 77, chapter, uh, uh, verse 1 says this, I cried out to God for help. You don't cry out for help unless you need help. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress, despair. I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. That's what all of us think you need to do, right? When you lose somebody, it's like, well, the spiritual thing to do is just pray more or be nicer or say God's name more or listen to more worship songs. And the psalmist is doing that. And so all of us, if you grew up in church, you're like, oh, perfect. You're doing the right things. But then look at what the psalmist writes. He says, and I would not be comforted. I didn't find comfort even in stretching out my soul to God, my hands to God. What's interesting is that Psalm 77 was written by a worship leader named Jeduthun. Now, Jeduthun was a key worship leader in Israel. Literally, he was like the choir director. Some of you grew up in kind of old school church where the choirs every single week, or maybe you were a part of it every single week. This is what happened. They literally would sing Psalm 77 in a communal setting. They would teach this, and it would kind of be sung theology that their people would pick up. And this is how they start. It's quite depressing. Verse three, he keeps going. He says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. 
again, that's not what you expect to read because when I, in my head, if I meditate on God's word or if I'm thinking about God, I should get happier, right? That's not what happens to the psalmist. The psalmist is fully in touch with the reality of loss and grieving. It says, actually, when I do that, I'm groaning. I'm actually growing fainter. Verse 4, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. He's then lost words. There's not even articulation to what he's feeling inside. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. How many of us have said that? It used to be better. It was better with them. I wish they were still here. We've said things like that. This is what the psalmist is saying. I remember my songs in the night. I remember the crying out. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. And here's what I think is so powerful. The psalmist creates space for us to grieve and to understand how this process works by what he says in verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time. I read that and I'm like, can you say that to God? <laughs> Are you allowed to say those things? Am I allowed to think those things? And the psalmist is saying, this is part of the grieving process. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? These are incredibly raw. I mean, if you could throw some curse words in here, they probably would be appropriate for the, just the depth of emotion that Jeduthun or these psalmists were feeling around the specific loss. And so what I wanted to do is just give a couple truths on grief. And I'm not an expert. I'm simply trying to say God's pressed this psalm over and over again in my life. And I just want to lift some things out that have been encouraging to me, but they're incredibly real. And the first is very simple. Grief allows us to embrace reality, painful as it may be. So many of us fail at grieving or, or misunderstand the process because we don't want to really accept reality that the person is lost, that the person has died, that the person is going to die. It's incredibly painful, but it's why you can go to any funeral, really every funeral you're at, and I've been to a number of them over the last year, uh, there's really only two groups of people. The first group of people leaves that funeral bitter, resentful, and angry. And the second group of people leave that same funeral, listen to the same eulogies, the same hymns, the same stories, and they leave that funeral thankful, more aware of God's presence, more hopeful. How does that happen? To me, I think it's that first truth. The first group of people are not willing to embrace reality. That person is gone. And there's a process you grieve and the process you mourn, a process you lament the loss of life because God created the person. But then there's a, a chance for you to continue to grow and to move through that. The first person never embraces reality. They, they act like the person never died. They don't get rid of anything. <laughs> like, you know those people. I've got people in my family. It's like you talk to them and the person's still there. I mean, I had a friend who went over to a person that he was dating at the time. And this girl's family was talking about her brother in the present tense who had died three or four years ago just over and over again. And we've, we get that. We understand that. It's almost a way for us as human beings to hold on to the person. But grief says you have to embrace reality as painful as it may be. You have to allow yourself to feel and be present in that moment. This is true for us as human beings, as, as Jesus followers, as much as it's true for everyone else around us. Now, there was this fascinating study done by philosophers and researchers on the heels of World War II and the Vietnam War. 
what they found was people that came back from Vietnam, and you may know people in your life like this, had higher rates of suicide, addiction, abuse, violence, post-war life than World War II veterans did. Again, why is that? How is that possible? Well, what they found was World War II veterans, on average, had a longer journey home than the Vietnam veterans. And because of technology, because of access to transportation, because of just the kind of differences in geography even for them to get out and get back to America. The thing that they observed was the amount of time it took for the World War II veterans to return actually gave them space to grieve, to embrace reality, to recognize they had lost friends, maybe family members, maybe leaders, maybe mentors in the war. And the Vietnam veterans had a shorter window and, and often did not embrace the reality of what they just faced, did not embrace the reality of those they had lost. And it ended up tragically affecting them even after they returned home. I mean, let's make this more practical. So uh, how many of you right now are trying to lose weight? I'm just kidding. You, no, none of you want to raise your hand for that, okay? I will not embarrass you in front of everyone, though you're all very, very honest people. But just picture me trying to lose weight, right? If I was trying to lose weight and you were, you were my coach, let's say, you were like, okay, John, I'm going to coach you. And the first thing I said was, well, here's my problem. Every time I get on the scale, I don't really believe what it says. Like, I, my scale's broken. You say, okay, go to Meijer, go, go to Walmart, get a new scale. I get a new scale, and I'm like, yeah, this one's broken too. I mean, it says it's way higher than I actually know it is. You're like, okay, well, get a third scale. So I go on Amazon, and I find a, a perfect scale with all of the delicacies and the aesthetics that I want. I stand on, I come back to you as my coach. I'm like, man, it still doesn't work. It's reading the wrong numbers. I know I don't weigh that. Like your first job for me as a life coach would be, hey, you need to embrace reality. You do not weigh what you think you weigh. And what's interesting, that's a very practical example, but you have a chance then. If, if I actually lost, if I was actually real about the number, then I can begin to grow. Then I begin to make progress. Then I begin to move forward. If I never embrace the reality, and I constantly am thinking I'm eating better than I am, I exercise way more than I think I, than I actually do, I, I don't weigh nearly as much as I thought, well, then I'll never grow. I'll never move forward. I'll never actually take ground in the journey. That's what grief does. It allows us to embrace reality, as painful as it may be, and, and begin to move forward at the right pace. The other interesting thing is that grief levels everyone. Have you noticed no one cares about what car you drove to a funeral? No one cares. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no one cares how your lawn looks at the funeral. No one cares what you're wearing at the funeral because it levels everybody. It makes everyone a, a basic human being created in the image of God bearing his likeness again. It just levels everybody, and that's part of embracing reality. Truth number two. God is present. He is literally in the scriptures described as a co-sufferer in our worst moments. God is present in our worst moments. I love how Jeduthun begins this psalm in the, in the very first verse. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. It's incredibly honest. But then he, he walks through the fact that this is a terrible moment. Verse 7, terrible moment. But then look how he ends in verse 16. 
Verse 16, this is what the psalmist says. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The crowds pour, clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. Your earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. What is the psalmist saying with all the poetic language involved? And we'll get back to that in a minute. It's that God is present. It's that God is actually there and available in your worst moments. This is why every time, it doesn't matter if I know the person super well, I've been to so many different funerals where the most beautiful part is hearing the eulogy. Some of you had to write this for someone you've lost recently. You, you get this. But the eulogy actually comes from this Greek idea made popular by some early church fathers uh, coming from the word eulogia, which literally means a blessing, the blessed one. What's happening in a eulogy is that the people hearing are actually receiving a blessing through that person's life. They're actually recounting what a blessing those people were. I, I was sitting at a funeral a couple weeks ago, and at the specific funeral, I literally, uh, we were trying to figure out, do we bring Lennon or not? She's like four weeks old at the time. Is this a terrible idea or not? And all your moms are like, yeah, that is a terrible idea. And But we said, we, don't, we all want to be there. So we all packed up. We got her in the car. Uh, it was packed. I had to walk with a car seat for like a mile and a half, it felt like. And if you've ever done that, my arms are ripped right now. I'm swole. <laughs> I am huge right now on my right arm. My left one need work. But it is so freaking heavy. Anyway, we get there. We sit down. We go to the back row because you know you need an easy exit in case something happens. So we had our easy exit, but we're sitting there. And we were really, really far away. So nothing, I mean, it kind of felt like I was detached. I didn't, it was a family friend, didn't know her super well, kind of there supporting other people. And we get there and, and then the eulogy starts. And, and the dad is up there who, who's now left leading his family by himself, figuring out life on his own without his wife. And he begins reading just a story of her life over and over again, different pieces, stories, family members who are left behind, people that really she's impacted and made a difference. And to me, I was like, where is God at a funeral? He's right there. He's present in that. That there's actually, as we remember, as we walk through our worst moments, God hears us. And I don't know why that hit me, but it did. The third truth is really simple. And you already know this if you follow Jesus. Our grief is mixed with hope. Our grief is mixed with hope. There's not to say that there isn't hope if you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're listening and you're just watching or you're tuning in and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, we're, again, glad you're here. You're in the right place. Uh, but there is, when you have a surrendered relationship to the living, risen Jesus, there's just a difference between how we grieve versus how everyone else grieves. Here's why. Death is not the way it should be. Have you ever let that sit in before? Death is not the way it should be. We were created to last, to, to thrive, to flourish. And in the wake of the vacuum of sin and brokenness, and I don't get how all that works or the mysteries of the universe, but, but I do know that there's a certain level of hope I can hold on to even in the middle of grieving. That's how the psalmist ends what we just read, verse 16 to 20. He talks about just the different elements of creation and how they respond. I mean, the beginning, verse 16 that literally starts out with saying, the water saw you, God, the water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. That's such physical, human-y language. Like, it's, it's interesting because ancient people believe that the depths, 
the chaos, the disorder, death itself lived in the sea. Any parts of the Caribbean fans? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Like David Jones' locker, they really believed it was a real thing. Like that's where uh, the ghosts of the dead would live. And if you got drowned, it was kind of like the ultimate death. The psalmist is writing, even the waters, even the, the chaos and the death and the ghosts of life, they shudder at the name of God. They, they are literally afraid of the power that God wields and holds over creation. But I think the most beautiful passage in all of this psalm for me is in verse 19. Literally, the psalmist writes, your path led through the sea, through the way of death, through the way of chaos, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. We're not seen. Now, I, I grew up where my grandma had the footprints poem on, on the wall, and some of you may have that. And I'm not knocking that, <laughs> but there is a sense that sometimes you can't see God's footprints. And, and Danny alluded to it. Sometimes you don't feel like God is there. Sometimes you don't see that he's there. The psalmist is writing, even when you do not feel it, even when you don't see it, if you really lean in to grief, you will find this incredible outcome of hope, this incredible move of hope in the place of death and chaos and sorrow. And then if you read the last verse, you already probably have echoes of a psalm you maybe heard at a funeral, Psalm 23. We sang it at the very beginning. The psalmist writes and closes out this song, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's alluding to not just creation and how God interacts with us, but also uh, Psalm 23 and also the Exodus, the story of Israel, literally moving from bondage to freedom out of Egypt into God's promised land. There's a sense that as we move through grief, there's a better hope, a better freedom, a better life on the other side of the process. I don't know how hope amidst grief looks for you. It may look like the fact that you showed up today, showing up, being here, being physically with us, being in the room next to people who love you and care about you and want to know you and walk with you. I don't know. In the midst of grieving, sometimes the best thing we can do is just keep showing up. It's it's to take space when we need it, but not to disengage or isolate or withdraw, but actually to keep being present. Maybe it's being salt and light in our community. Maybe it's serving, knowing that so many thousands of people around us are walking through incredibly difficult circumstances and situations and parenting challenges and financial decisions, maybe even loss of a loved one, and you serving them, maybe even this Saturday, you picking up trash, you handing out a candy bag, you being there, maybe is just a reminder to them that God is still here, that God still sees them, that there is at least a church that, that is for them. Maybe that means sitting with a friend this week. You may have someone in your life who is walking through a difficult season. And here's why I hesitate to do this, because I want to have all the answers for them. I hesitate to just say, hey, can I come sit with you? Or can we grab lunch or coffee? Because I feel the need to figure it out for them, to solve all the issues. And that's not how the psalmist writes about his process of grief. It literally is this relate, these relational terms. It's sometimes grief being mixed with hope is you being a beacon of light to someone who's walking through an incredibly difficult moment, knowing you're going to need that person someday too. That you may not even need this message right now. And you're like, man, why are we talking about grief? I'm, it's summer, baby. It's July 18th. It's, I'm headed to the beach after this. Like, why, why are we putting it all on hold to talk about this, because you will need it later. There's someone in your life, you'll have to walk through this process 
as a disciple of Jesus, and it will be worth it then. Maybe grief being mixed with hope for you looks like either you personally or, or walking with the people in your life to running from all of the thousands of ways we like to medicate our loss. We like to medicate and sugarcoat, pretend that it didn't happen. We don't have to embrace the reality. We have entire industries designed. There's people who are making millions off the fact that you and I won't embrace reality. I mean, think about even things like alcohol. I mean, how many people have you seen sitting at bars alone, walking through things, probably grieving and not sure, what do I even do? And in the moment, their bartender is their pastor, the bartender is their counselor, and that's kind of the, the end for them. And they just keep going back, keep going back. Maybe it's pornography for you or for someone you're walking through. You need to turn that off or figure out a way to get free. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's social media and scrolling and taking in messages or, or even just allowing yourself to be numb and not to process what you're actually walking through. Maybe for some of you, it's spending. You need to cut up a credit card or stop going to Woodland Mall. <laughs> you need to stop doing that. Because maybe there's, a, there's a, a dashboard indicator of your life saying, hey, 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 where you're walking through this, maybe it's an opportunity to get real hope, not just to medicate. But it takes a process we just walked through. It takes embracing reality. It takes believing God is there. And it takes hope that comes from a true relationship with Jesus. I think this is what's fascinating to me about even the New Testament. Because the New Testament writers say over and over again, even Hebrews 6.19, one of my favorite verses, says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. My hope when I try to secure it by myself is incredibly fragile. When I try to walk through this process by myself or, or to figure out ways to just numb the pain or, or avoid the loss, my anchor is so light. It's like putting a five-pound anchor down with a yacht. Like It doesn't, doesn't hold up. I don't have a yacht. That's not experience, by the way. I don't, but I'm just I'm envisioning in one day or maybe in the future that that would be my reality. But I think that that is what the scriptures over and over again talk about. We have hope, which is actually an anchor for the soul. Here's, here's the real anchor, though. What the passage in Hebrews 6 is talking about, I think you want Psalm 77 is pushing us to think about, is that the Father, the Heavenly Father, knows what it's like to lose someone you love ever thought about that reality being true? I mean, as you read through the scripture story, the fact that the heavenly father sent his, his beloved son and, and in the midst of that process, loss and suffering, if it's true, if the stories are true, that God has been human in every single way we were, we are, has been tempted in every way we are, has, has fully embodied human experience, that means God has walked through this actual process of grief and suffering. You are not alone, you are not exempt, and you are not weird because you're going through it maybe even today. His invitation to all of us is to embrace reality. It's to believe he's really there and it's to keep hoping. And so all of you somewhere near your seat, uh, probably one per family, or there's extras on the stage here, have a card that just simply says we are praying for you. And we have these out every single week, but we just thought as a team it would be worthwhile for us as an exercise of doing exactly what this psalm helps us to do is to actually process the simple question that so many of us run from, I want to create space to do, is what do you need to grieve? What do you need to grieve? Is it a, is it a job? Is it a person? Is it a year? Is it a spouse? Is it a best friend? Is it a child you didn't have? Is it like, who is it? What do you need 
to grieve. And here's what's so powerful about this. And you don't have to fill out the name and email or turn it in. You may just use this to write down, I need prayer for X. And if you want to check, I'd like to speak with a pastor, I would, I would clear my calendar to walk with you through some of those things. But as you look at this, it may, the most powerful thing you may do in these next few minutes is just to write down what you actually need to grieve. Actually process, to sit, and, and in the midst of social media and work commitments and soccer games and everything else, you just turn down all the noise for a few minutes and say, yeah, this is what I need to grieve. This is hard. This is heavy. I haven't walked through this yet. And I've just kind of shuttered off reality and just said, I'll, I'll deal with that later. But just to write down now, if you actually want someone to pray for you, actually want someone to follow up with you, you can just leave it right on your seat. Put your name and email. We'll follow up with you. We have a prayer team dedicated to praying for requests like this. So if you want to do that, you can. You don't have to do that. But again, if you've got a pen or you've got something handy or even just on your phone, you can write down what you need prayer for, what is heavy on your life, and then we're going to pray for it. So uh, I just want to create a few minutes just for you to do that. As Adam plays, we're going to sing again, and then I want to pray for us. So let's do that. <laughs>